How many of you have ever uh, lived close to or spent much time at a river? Been around a river? Now, if you happen to go jump in, go swimming, go fishing, is there any possibility that you're going to use up all the water? Maybe you had to dip some out, you know, you was camping there and you boarded on your fire to purify it and things like that. Any possibility you're going to use it all up? For the most part, you're going to be thinking that the river is kind of limitless, right? As far as your personal needs go. You know, there's lots of water to swim in, to look at and to enjoy, to cool off in, to fish in, to boat in. I mean, there's lots of river there and uh, people draw water from the rivers and they purify it and then they give water to the cities of our nation. A lot of it comes from rivers. And you go, well, how come that thing don't ever run dry? You ever wonder that? It's like, well, who's pouring water in up on the top end? The river's always running downhill, right? And you understand the Bible tells us, you know, it talks about the Waters run to the river, uh, from the river. All the little tributaries feed into the rivers and they go down to the ocean. And out there in the ocean, it evaporates and turns into what? Clouds. Okay, this is good, guys. <laughs> Y'all seen clouds? <laughs> and then the clouds float wherever the good Lord sends them. And then they let down their rain and they keep the water flowing. And there's other sources, springs, and fountains from deep beneath, you know, that, that bubble up. And there are rivers under the ground. You can pretty much drill a, a well anywhere if you go deep enough and you're going to hit an aquifer, a river under the, the surface here. Anyhow, they are pretty much, you know, maybe, maybe not totally, but they're pretty much limitless because they're constantly being replenished. I mean, the rivers that I know of here that I personally go fishing in and swimming in and camping by, they, they've been running ever since I've been here in New England. And it doesn't give any indication they're going to run dry anytime soon. You know, so it gives us a little bit of a picture of limitless. <clears throat> Last week we were talking about limitless. That was our third week and we were talking about the providence of God and how we should be thankful. But I want to continue along that line talking about limitless and ness, limitlessness and the providence of Almighty God. You know, because he is awesome. God is awesome when it comes to his kids. And he's thought of you and he's made all kinds of wonderful provisions for you. <clears throat> but let's just look at this one verse here in Revelation 22, verse 1. It says, And then the angel showed me a river with the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Now, do you think that the river that has the water of life that's flowing from the throne of God will ever run dry? I don't think so. The river of life is limitless, and you can drink as much as you want, and you can swim and splash in it all you want to. Some people go in, you know, to their ankles, and some people go into that river of life up to their knees, and some people go up to their waist, and some people just kind of jump in and just completely total surrender and let the river carry them, you know. But let's go back, just a, a verse or two of a review. We saw about last week. First John 3, 22. And it says here, and we will receive, let's talk about us, believers, and we will receive whatever we request because we obey him and do the things that please him. See, we talked a little bit about last week. It's not just mere chance that something happens. It's not just mere chance, well, your prayers got answered and hers didn't, or, or, or his did, but yours didn't. That's not just some mere chance deal. He says, we receive whatever we request because we obey him. That's key to receiving our prayers answered is to obey God. <clears throat> and we receive whatever we request because we obey him and we do the things that please him. Not mere chance, but obedience that brings about the answers to our prayers. And then in verse 23 it says, And this is his commandment. We must believe in the name of his son. Do you believe in Jesus? Yes. You know, some people will tolerate you talking about God. They'll even tolerate you praying. 
before a big assembly of folks as long as you don't end it with, in Jesus' name. Ah! You know, people get all bent out of shape when you start talking about Jesus, who is the only Savior of the world. And it says here, and this is his commandment, we must believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. Not mere chance that gets our prayers answered, but it's obedience. And see, obedience is actually pictured, you know, in the scripture. It's, uh, it's a love response. Our obedience is, is a response of, oh man, I love you. You've done so much for me. You created me. You've forgiven me. You've helped me. And obedience to God is a response of love. That's what it is, folks. And to be honest with you, if, if there's no obedience, well, let me say it this way. If you don't love God, you're probably not going to obey him. You know, it just gets old just doing, well, they said I had to do this. Duty, that gets old, you know. We'll not truly obey God if we don't love him. But if you love him, you'll obey him because you love him. See, that's what obedience is. Like, I love you. You've done so much. You've given me another chance. You've forgiven me and you've helped me in so many ways. And we obey him out of love. And see, that's where obedience comes from. True obedience comes from there. In the will of God, the entire universe works for us. When you're in the will of God. Out of the will of God, the entire universe works against you. Like Murphy's Law. If it can go wrong, it can go wrong for you. You know, when you're out of the will of God. But when you're in the will of God, the whole universe works for us. And there may be some things that come out as kind of sideways, but they'll get straightened out soon enough when you're in the will of God. In the days of the country store, a little boy used to accompany his mother when she went shopping. The storekeeper always said to the boy, Hey, take a handful of candy, son. But the boy never would. The storekeeper would reach into the box and give him a handful of candy. And one day his mother asked, Why is it when he asks you to take a handful, you never do? And the boy replied, Because his hands are bigger than mine. <laughs> it's pretty good, don't you think? Wise kid. And the truth of it is, is God's hands bigger than ours. And we can pray and say, God, you know, you've taught us how to pray. We pray according to his will. And at the same time, it's just like, you know what, God, it, your hand is so much bigger. You, you see so much better into my life. And I trust that God gives us what's the best thing for us. I really do. We need to pray. But it's just like, you know what, God, I trust you. And I yield to you. And that's why we pray, Father, thy will be done. You know, I acknowledge that your kingdom has come and, and his kingdom has come, folks. It's not like we need to pray for his kingdom to come any longer. It's here in the midst of us. I acknowledge, Lord, your kingdom has come. Your will is being done. May your will, may your hands be opened. May your will be done to me and in me and through me, you know, wherever we find ourselves. Philippians chapter 4 verse 19 says this, and this is the apostle Paul he was actually complimenting the believers there upon their generosity. And he was really trying to encourage them. And he said here in Philippians 4, 19, he says, And this same God who takes care of me, this is Apostle Paul talking, And this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs. See, Now this is what he was telling them. And, and, and the Apostle Paul was living in obedience to God. And he was telling them, you know, and if you'll read that whole chapter, they were being generous and they were giving and they were sharing and, and considering other people's needs. And he says, and this same God who takes care of me will supply, what's that next word? All your needs. Shortly after Dallas Theological Seminary was founded in 1924, it almost came to the point of bankruptcy. All the creditors were going to foreclose at noon on a particular day. And the morning they met, that morning they met in the president's office with Dr. Schaefer for prayer that God would provide. In that prayer meeting was a man by the name of Harry Ironside. 
And when it was his turn to pray, he prayed in his characteristic manner. Lord, we know that the cattle on a thousand hills are thine. Please sell some of them and send us the money. Now, are you familiar with the passage? I'll read it to you. It's found in Psalms 50, verse 10. It says, for all the animals of the forest are mine, and I own the cattle on a thousand hills. That's in the Bible. So God says he does own a cattle on a thousand hills, and this guy's prayer was like, sell some and help pay this so we can keep this, you know, Bible training and this mentoring men, uh, you know, to carry on the gospel so we can keep it going. Well, while they were praying, a tall Texan with boots on and an open collar stepped up to the business office and said, Well, I just sold two carloads of cattle in Fort Worth, and I've been trying to make a business deal, but it fell through, and I feel compelled to give the money to the seminary. And I don't know if you need it or not, but here's the check. A little secretary took the check. And knowing how critical things were financially, she went to the door of the prayer meeting and timidly tapped. When she finally got a response, Dr. Schaefer took the check out of her hand. It was exactly the amount of the debt. When he looked at the name, he recognized the cattleman, the cattleman in, in Fort Worth, and he turned to Dr. Ironside and said, Harry... God just sold the cattle, you know. Now, can God do things like that for everybody? Can he give just the exact amount that you need at times to show you that he's involved with every detail of your life? We're talking about a limitless God who has enough of water that you can sit in it and soak in it and motorboat in it and fish in it and all those kinds of things. So much water that it actually just comes down out of the sky at times. Limitless. The providence of God. The providence of God. The foresight and the forethought. God considered you and he knew what you was going to need in your lifetime. And he's already made all those provisions for us. If we're obedient, we find ourselves on the correct mountain. Not on the one without the provisions because we tried to take a shortcut. Let me read this verse again. Philippians Chapter 4, verse 19, and it says, Paul said, And this same God who takes care of me will supply all of your needs from his glorious riches. Now, you've got to understand something. God is rich in mercy. He is rich in grace. He's rich in forgiveness. God is rich as, you know, have no, they're limitless. He, he's rich in money, he's rich in cows, he's rich in trees, he's rich in husbands, he's rich in wives, <laughs> as far as providing you one. He's rich in everything that you can possibly imagine. Sometimes we think of riches as just dollars and cents, right? But that's not the truth. There's so much more that we need more than dollars and cents. There's a lot that dollars and cents just cannot buy. And we see some people in this world who have all the dollars and cents a man or a woman could ever want, and they take their own life because they're just absolutely empty. Well, my Bible says here, as Paul declares, and he's a man of God, he said, and this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs. That's all your needs. That, that's all your needs. I mean, it's not dollars and cents. He says he's going to supply all of your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. All of the grace and all of the mercy and all the provisions and all the forgiveness and all of the answers of prayer and all of the things that you need today and you're going to need tomorrow and you're going to need the next day and all the things that trickle down to your family and your loved ones that you need. He has it. And you'll find it in a relationship with Christ Jesus. Not outside of that relationship. But he says, and this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious, 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 glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. And it's so important that we grasp being in Christ. If, if this was in the middle of February right now, you would understand it even more clearly, the difference between 
being in the building or being outside the building. Right? There'll be a lot of white stuff floating around probably out there. And it'll probably be in nine degrees, you know, some Saturday night around this time. And being in a building, it is distinctly different than being outside the building. And being in Christ, in a relationship with Christ, is distinctly different than being outside of a relationship with Christ. And going into a church does not put you in a relationship with Christ. It's allowing Christ to come into us, you see. And getting to know him and, and our relationship, it just gets better and it gets stronger. It's, it, it grows like a, you getting to know somebody, right? You get to know somebody, the more time you spend with them, the better you get to know them. And if, if you have a book about them, boy, you can speed up that process, can't you? Because you can read all about them. Get to know more and more about them. Well, it says in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, it says, Therefore, if any man be, where? That's what we're talking about. That he's going to supply everything that we have need of from his glorious riches, you know, which have been given to us in Christ. And here it says, if any man is in Christ, here's something else that comes when we're in Christ. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. A new, you're not that old, mean, ornery, sinful creature that you once were. You've been forgiven. You've been cleansed. You have begun to partake of God's divine nature, you see. And he says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things are what? They've passed away. You've been forgiven. God doesn't have a chalkboard up there with all these little strikes, these, these marks against you. That's all been erased. You're forgiven. He is limitless. Now, how many times can you sin and be forgiven? Twenty? Oh, more than twenty. Just checking to see. Not that we should say, but I'm going to see how, how many I can get forgiven for. That's not wise. Because, see, what happens, that, well, we reap consequences of bad choices lots of times, do we not? So we don't want to just do that. But he says, therefore, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things are passed away. And behold, all things are become new. In Christ, it's all new. All the strikes against me, uh, against me are washed away, are, are, are forever gone. I'm forgiven. I'm squeaky clean, you know. Now imagine for just a moment that you're on a holiday. You're on a vacation. And uh, on your vacation, you go down to the beach every day and you roll out your towel and you bake there. You're trying to get you a suntan. You d go dive in the water. You kick around in some volleyball and the sand and all. Then you come back to your apartment in the evening and you got a little goldfish in a the bowl there. And that goldfish has been there all by its little old self all day long while you have been playing around having fun. So you feel real, real bad about the goldfish. If, and you go, listen. You, you've not really complained or anything. I'd say, I'm taking you with me tomorrow. Okay? So, tomorrow, you reach in, you know, you got to, let me see here, if I have something for that goldfish. Yeah, you got a little goldfish-sized beach towel, you know. <laughs> you take the little goldfish, you put it on a little beach towel, you kind of get it damp, you know. You put it in your pocket. So you go down to the beach, you lay your towel out, then you get your little goldfish and you lay his little towel out there. And you know, oh man, the heat is just feels so awesome on your back. It's just roasting, man. And you put the little goldfish there and go, we're having a good time, aren't we? <laughs> that is the wrong environment for a goldfish, is it not? It's the wrong environment for any fish, unless you're cooking dinner. And I want you to understand something. There's a lot of wrong places. There's a, long, a lot of wrong environments for you. When you're smack dab in the middle of God's will and you've discovered what it was, it's, it's an honorable place. It's a place that you're satisfied and you're thrilled and you are blessed every which way you go. But we can find ourselves. Have you ever found yourself in places like 
this is not an environment for me. And you know what it is. It's like this is doing you damage physically or, or mentally, emotionally, or spiritually. You go, this is not the right environment for me. God is limitless, and he will forgive you. But you don't want to just, you know, find yourself in the wrong environment over and over and have to suffer the consequences. Maybe this person saw what he was doing. Maybe he rushed it back and got it in the, the fish bowl before the fish just totally died. But it's doubtful that he made it back, you know. But when you recognize this is not the environment for me, let's get back in the, the middle of God's will. It is not a boring place to be in God's will. It's exciting. It is thrilling. It is satisfying to be smack dab in the middle of God's will. It really is, you know. Listen to what it says in 2 Chronicles. I'm sorry, 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 12. And it says here, it says wealth, or you could say riches, same thing. Riches, wealth, wealth and honor. He said he's going to provide all the things that we have need of according to his riches, Okay. His riches, not somebody, not some government's riches, not some Bill Gates's riches, you know, but he would provide all that you have need of according to his riches in glory. And he packs them up and he sends them to you from glory. It's got God's fingerprints all over it. Now that's what satisfies us and fulfills us and causes us to know that God loves me. The providence of God, he's made provisions for me. Same way the provisions were made for that you know, seminary, that Bible college, so it could continue to run. It, it, it seemed like a coincidence. It seemed like, well, something like that's just, just lady luck or some mere chance, but I don't think that's what it was at all. The providence of Almighty God, he knows you right now. He knows what you're going through right now. He genuinely does, and it says here, wealth and honor come from you. What's that next word? Alone. Alone. So whatever you have for right now, it's from God. There's nothing that you got that's good that came from anywhere else other than from God. Wealth and honor come from you alone for you rule over everything. You are the most high. You are the almighty. You rule over it all. And you have the privilege of being known by him. He knows your name. Knows how many hairs is on your head. You know, he knows all those little details. He says here, we read it once again, wealth and honor come from you alone, for you rule over everything. Power and might are in your hand and at your discretion. People are made great and given strength. God does that, you see. That's his business. He does that. Let me read it to you one more time there in Philippians 4, uh, verse 19, and it says, and this same God who takes care of me said the Apostle Paul, will supply all of your needs from his glorious riches. And he is rich in forgiveness. You ever need forgiveness? He's very, very, oh, I just stepped on Goldie there. He didn't feel a thing, though. He's been baking in the sun, so it don't matter. He is absolutely amazing, God is. And he's rich in forgiveness and rich in mercy and rich in grace. And everything that you have need of, God is rich in it. He genuinely is. And we find when we're in a relationship with his son, everything that we have need of, as the Apostle Paul says, and this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. What is it that you need? Do you need some skill? Do you need some wisdom? Do you need some talent? You know, do you need some time? What is it that you need? And he said it right here. And, and he was declaring the absolute truth. The same God who takes care of me will supply all. And that's amazing. It's a blank check. He'll supply all of your needs, whatever they might be, from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ. So let's stay in Christ. Stay in a close relationship with Christ. Obey what Christ asks us to do. And we find ourselves in a the best position to access the providence of Almighty God. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, it says, He is so rich in kindness. Aren't you glad that God is rich in kindness? Do you know some people who are unkind? Aren't you glad that God's not like one of them? You know, some people think that that's the way God is, but that's not true. 
He's rich in kindness, it says. He is so rich in kindness and grace. Now, first time I ever studied grace, and I was looking up in the Greek, and I pursued it as far as I could go, and I saw these words, it's like, wow, I never saw that before. These words that kept popping up was like a wave, a wave of the sea. Now, how many of you ever went to the ocean when you were a child? Did you see the waves? If he was to go back to that same ocean now, would the waves still be coming in? That's an extremely good definition of grace. There's always another wave of God's grace that's coming in. It's always, you, you have not used up the last wave of God's grace. You might have did something really, really bad, but God's grace is sufficient. And God is rich in forgiveness. Aren't you glad? And he'll forgive you again because he loves you. He genuinely will. And he'll provide for you. And he wants you to stay in a close relationship with his son. And he wants you to learn to obey him because things just go better for us. Don't things go better for us when we obey the, the traffic laws? If you disobey all the traffic laws, what happens? You're probably in several fender fenders at, at best, you know, really bad situation, end up in the hospital at worst, and you have your license taken away and all those kinds of things. But if you obey the laws, you've got all kinds of freedom to go and come as you want to. And as you and I learn to obey Almighty God, there are blessings poured out upon us that other people don't know anything about. But he says here in Ephesians 1, 7, he says, uh, hold on a second. He says, he is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and he forgave our sins. I like the idea that God is rich in forgiveness. It's not like God goes, well, you know what? I've forgiven you three times a day already. I think that's enough. You know? Now, you know what? We should grow up and we should mature, but God is rich in forgiveness. He'll forgive you a lot more times than your friends will. You know what I'm saying? He really will. Anyhow, picking up, uh, let me just ask you a question. I don't know, maybe that's too personal. Okay, I'll ask you. Just give me the day, okay? Just the day. Just give me a date. What's the date today, anyhow? 27th, right? Over here, they're on the 28th. You guys are a day behind. It is the 28th. Okay, guys. That's all right. All right. Just give me the date. Just give me the date when I ask you a question. When is the last time you sinned? 28th. Okay. It's exactly 7 o'clock. What time was it? You're going, I'm not going to tell you that. Going to meddling now, haven't we? But let me, I just wanted to bring that out to your attention because it's not, it's not like we've become so perfect is it? Have we become so perfect that we don't really need the richness of God's forgiveness anymore? He says in 1 John 1, 9, he says, but if we confess our sins to him, not to a man, but he says we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. God is rich in forgiveness. If we confess, you go, well, I've done this before. You know, I ain't going to bother even asking God. I know he would no. He said, if you confess it, only if you go, God, see, this is his will. His will is to acknowledge it. God, I did wrong. I shouldn't have did that. And, and I ask you to forgive me and strengthen me so I don't keep doing that. He says, if you confess it to, to him, he is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all wickedness. That's what he promises. Okay. It says in Acts chapter 10, verse 43, it says, he is the one, talking about Jesus, he, Jesus, is the one all the prophets testified about, saying that everyone who believes in him, everyone who believes in Jesus, will have their sins forgiven through his name. Now, everybody will not be forgiven just because they go to God the Father. Everybody will not be forgiven just because they go to the Holy Spirit. He makes it extremely clear. Who was it that went to the cross? Who was it who died and sacrificed and shed his blood for us? It was Jesus. 
And it says, and he is the one all the prophets testified about, saying that everyone who believes in him, referring to Jesus, will have their sins forgiven through his name. See, in the providence of Almighty God, you and I have been given his name. It's just like uh, a checkbook. How many of y'all still use a checkbook? Debit cards are so much more convenient. I actually still have a checkbook and all. But uh, is it important to write something on a checkbook? Absolutely. And if I give you a check that's not been signed, how good is it? It's not good at all. But once it's got my signature on it, well, it still might not be good. But uh, <laughs> if God's signature is on it, it's real good. Okay? It's real, real good. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, it says this, But God is so rich in mercy. He's rich in mercy. You understand mercy? Mercy is not giving you the judgment and the consequences that you deserve. You know, and I use this analogy quite often, but you get stopped by a police officer and you are driving 25, 30 miles over the speed limit or something or another, and you can't say anything but like, please show me mercy. Don't give me what I deserve, you know. Right? You're not asking for justice at that point in time. You're just asking for mercy. And my Bible says this. This is amazing that God is so rich in mercy. He doesn't give you what you deserve. Christ paid for it. You know, once a, you deserve that without Christ. But if you're in a relationship with Christ, you receive mercy. But if you're not in a relationship with Christ, you'll give account for your sins. And you won't make it. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. He's so rich in grace. He's so rich in mercy. God is rich in those, and he'll never exhaust all those in your whole life long. You know, God will always forgive you if you ask him. If you turn from those things. In Ephesians chapter uh, 3 verse 16 it says, I pray that from his glorious unlimited, what's that word? I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, unlimited, sounds like limitless, does it not? I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, the providence of God, that he will empower you with inner strength. You ever need something on the inside sometimes? I need the inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. And your roots will grow down into God's love and, and keep you strong. You see, that's where that strength comes as your roots grow down deep into the love of Christ. And his love and his resources and his strength, it just you soak it up like the roots of a tree soak up the nutrients in the water that's in the earth. And he goes on to say here in verse 18, And may you have the power to understand as all God's people should, how wide. Let me just let you know something. All this is we should, and I'm going to tell you exactly how wide, how long, how high and how deep God's love is. I can tell you exactly how, how wide, how deep, how it's limitless. That's the measurement. It's limitless. It's endless. That is the correct answer. He says in verse 18, And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep His love is. And see, you can know it is limitless. Because if you didn't know, they go, well, I'm, I'm going to get some water out of the river, but I'm afraid I might use it all up today. If you didn't know how much was there, it's a limitless supply. You can use all you want. And see, God's love for you is limitless. It, it's limitless when you talk about the width and the, the length, how high, how deep. And then he goes on to say in verse 19, may you experience it. You've you got to experience it. Some things you, it's better experienced than it is explained. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. You, you can't understand it fully, but you can experience it. You can experience something that you don't understand at all, can't you? 
You can experience electricity. Somebody can give you some kind of tablet that cures some kind of ailment. You don't know how it works, but it worked. You can experience something that you don't understand. It says, may you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then, as you're pursuing this and you're understanding it is limitless, then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. When you understand he is limitless in his forgiveness, he is limitless in his mercy and his grace, God is rich in it all. I mean, and you, you'll never see God give out his last pardon, his last forgiveness, his last bit of mercy, his last little bit of love. You'll never see that because it's limitless, you see. That's who he is. Verse 20 says, Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more, infinitely more, which means limitless, then we might ask or think. And I really like the way the message Bible says it. And I'll read to you out of the message. It says, God can do anything far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. God can do more than that. He is limitless. He can do more. You look around and you go, I can't believe God did that. It's just like, you better believe it because he did it. And that ain't nothing compared to what God can do. He is limitless. His resources are absolutely phenomenal. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 says, Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud. People who got stuff, he said, teach them, don't be proud about your stuff. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money. Why? Because your money is limited. And, and I don't care how much you got, Something can happen in our economy. Something can happen with other countries in our economy and our stock markets and all those things. And all of a sudden what you got becomes worthless. Is that possible? It has happened before. Think about this. It says, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud, not to trust in their money, which is so, what's that word? Unreliable. Unreliable. It is defective. It, 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 it beckons us, trust me, trust me, trust me. You got enough to last the rest of your life and then some, trust me, trust me. It's deceptive. It tricks us into thinking that, but to be honest, it says it's so unreliable because it's so unpredictable. Even if it keeps its value, somebody can steal it from you. Somebody can take it from you in a lawsuit. Is that, is that possible? There's all kinds of things. That can happen. He says, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be where? In God, in the Almighty, the all knowing, the all powerful God who richly gives us all we need to just barely survive. He, he didn't say all we need to survive, but he said all we need to thrive. He said, he richly gives us, and we ought to have been seeing about his riches. Paul said he's going to take care of all your needs through his riches and glory. And we see it again, that who gives, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. You mean to tell me God's not just going to give you bread and water so you can survive, but he actually wants you to enjoy life? Life in all of its fullness, what he tells us in his word. He wants you not to just survive, but he wants you to thrive. He wants you to be a good advertisement. He wants you to have enough not just to meet your own needs, but to help other people who are struggling getting their needs met to help them and tell them about how much God loves them and, and, and the, the good news that he has shown to you. So he says here in verse 18, tell them to use their money. Now let me explain this to you if you don't know it already. When you get paid, 90% of what's on that check is your money. 10% of it's God's money. Just so you understand, a tithe is what belongs to God. I didn't write that up. I didn't create that. That's just what God says. And that's before all the other stuff is taken out of it. But he says here, tell them to use their money, that's the 90%, to do good. Use their money. 10% belongs to God. Tithe is not a gift to God. That belongs to God. And just like our taxes is not a gift to Uncle Sam, it belongs to Uncle Sam. So he says, anyhow, and he says here, tell them to use their money, that's the 90%, to do good. They should be rich 
in good works, using their 90%. Now, the truth of it is, if your tithe is going to a good local church, it's doing God good works too. It's, it's impacting people around the world as well as in your own nation as well. But it says they should be rich in good works and generous to those in need. What's that next word? Always being ready. The word ready means willing. It means prepared and, and, and standby. You ever flown standby? That means you're, you're there, there, you're ready to go. You're hoping someone's not going to show up and you're going, you're ready, you know. And they're like, you know, you're ready. You need to fly somewhere in a hurry and you're flying standby. You are prepared. You got your little stuff with you. And when they go, well, we can take, well, I'm here, I'm going. You're standby. You're prepared and you're ready to fly, you know. And that's what it's talking about here. Let me read again, verse 18. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works. And you don't even have to have money to do good works. To hold a door for somebody or pick up something somebody dropped for them or to give kindness where you know, somebody's down and discouraged. There's a lot of ways to, to do good works. It says, tell them to use their money, but you use it as well, to do good and they should be rich in good works and generous to those in need. Always being ready to share with others. Using your 90%, always ready to share with others. And, and anything that you give beyond your 10%, that is referred to as an offering. And that's where the greatest blessings do come back in at us. But he says in verse 19, by doing this, by being ready and prepared, it's like, I'm looking to be a blessing to somebody. You know, I know what I have to work with. I got an extra five bucks today or something or another. I'm looking to be a blessing to somebody today. And he says here in verse 19, by doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future. You know, we, we read, read it not too long ago. You know, giving, it'll be given back. You talked about the potato chip bag. You remember all that, you know? At Westside Baptist Church in Beaches, Nebraska, Normally, all the choir people came to church on Wednesday night to practice. And they tended to be early, well before 7.30, which was the starting time of worship practice. But one night, March the 1st, this is a long time ago, March the 1st, 1950, one by one, two by two, they all had excuses for being late. This had never happened before. Marilyn, the church pianist, she overslept on her after-dinner nap. So she and her mother were late. One girl, a high school sophomore, sophomore, was having trouble with her homework. That delayed her, so she was late. One couple couldn't get their car started. They and those they were to pick up were subsequently late. All 18 choir members, including the pastor and his wife, were all late. All had good excuses. At 7.30, the time the choir rehearsal was to begin, not one soul was in the choir loft. This had never happened before. But that night, the only night in history of the church that the choir wasn't starting to practice at 7.30 was the night that there was a gas leak in the basement of the West Side Baptist Church. At precisely the time at which the choir would have been singing, the gas leak was ignited by the church furnace and the whole church blew up. The furnace room was right below the choir loft. And I got that uh, little tidbit of information from uh, an article that Paul Harvey had written years ago. Pretty amazing when you think. Do you think it was the providence of God that all those people just happened to be late? Let me read you a verse here. In Psalms 37 verse 23 it says... The steps of the godly. The godly, those people who are trying to obey God. The steps of the godly. Now, let me include here, not only the steps, but lots of times the stops. And I actually took that from, a, it was D.L. Moody. It was penned in the, the margin of his Bible. It was found after he went on to be with the Lord, where it says the steps of the Lord, you know, or the steps of the godly are ordered by the Lord. And it says... Not only the steps, but the stops, our delays. We were talking about that just the other day. We're late. All of a sudden, you're on the road. You see a big accident. You go, man, if I hadn't been late, I might have been there, right? right. He says here, if the steps 
of the godly are directed by the Lord. Listen to what it says. He, talking about the Lord, he delights. That, that means he takes pleasure in. God, he delights in every, what's that word? Every detail of their lives. That's talking about you. God takes pleasure in every detail. You're trying to find a pair of shoes that fits you, that you God is interested in the details of your life. Everything about you. It doesn't have to be a life and death situation. Just like he wants you to enjoy life. He's concerned. He's interested. God is in the details if we'll allow him to be. And when you're trying to obey him and pursue him, you'll see his fingerprint shows up all over the place. The steps of the godly are directed by the Lord. I think that God directed all of those people. All 18 of them, they didn't show up for church. It never had happened. Boom. The building is gone, but the church was very healthy, which is the people is the church. We do know that. Well, let me read the next verse. That's Psalms 37 says, uh, verse 23 said, The steps of the godly are directed by the Lord. He delights in every detail of their lives. Though they stumble, they will not fall. This is the godly, the godlike, the Christlike, the men, the women who strive to obey God. So what he's talking about, the steps of the godly are directed by the Lord. He delights in every detail of their lives. Though they stumble, they will not fall. For the Lord holds them by the hand. And the way you would do a child when you're taking a hike on a, a, a dirt path that's got stumps and roots and rocks around it, you're holding their hand and if they trip, you just kind of pick them up and you, you fly them right over it, you know. You make a game out of it, right? Woo-hoo, okay, there we go, you know. You step across the brook, woo, you know, you take your little kids and you, you do that. And he says here, though they stumble, they will not fall, for the Lord holds them by the hand. And then he goes on, uh, here the psalmist goes on and says, Once I was young, and now I'm old, yet I have never seen the godly forsaken. Never, he said, I have never seen godly men or women forsaken, or I have never seen godly men and women's children out having to beg for bread because the limitlessness of Almighty God is providing for them. We're talking about the providence of Almighty God, the providence, the provisions, the foresight, and the forethought of God. He is limitless. And as we continue, you know, looking around about us tonight and tomorrow, as you're looking at the news and you're you're, you're, you know, coming up with concepts and ideas and thoughts about our future. Don't forget the book. Don't forget the book that's got more of the details in it. Don't forget the book of he who controls it all. He who can tip the earth and put it on its axis for a purpose. He's the one who turned the temperature of the sun just the right temperature so we would not be frozen or we would not be baked, you know. God is in the details of your life. And he says he, he loves it. He, delight, he takes pleasure in the details of your life. Have you ever stopped and thought about that? And go, God, we're going shopping today. Would you help me do my shopping, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Honestly, have you ever said, well, that's just, you know, we have the best. I'm not talking about acting spiritual. I'm talking about acknowledging your closest and most dearest friend. Communicate with him. Be involved. Be in close relationships with the Almighty. Whatever we do from day to day, he is limitless. There's nothing you'll ever face, no challenge you'll ever have to deal with that God can't help you through it. Whatever it is. He says he delights in the details of your life. Whatever you're going through, the good, the bad, he helps you through every, every stage of it. You know what? I just got so much I want to talk to you about, but we got to unplug here. Let's bow our heads. Father, thank you for your word. Help us to discover your heart more and more and more. Help us to see in your word, Lord, your heart being displayed so we can get to know you that we can walk and work in harmony with you, that we can make a difference and get connected with you and, and be a tool in your hand while we're still here. And then, oh, awesome, wonderful thing it will be when we 
one day open up our eyes and see you face to face. Oh, boy, we're looking forward to that day. Yes, we are. But while we're here, Lord, we want to make a difference. We don't want to be just preoccupied with our own stuff. We want to be preoccupied with your stuff. We want to make a difference in people's lives while we're here. Show us what to do, Father. Lead us and guide us moment by moment, day by day, in all the little small details of our life. Give us a nudge in the best choices to make. Grant us wisdom from above. Help us, oh, Father. You said you want us to enjoy life. Help us, Father, to see things from your perspective. As our heads are bowed, I'd ask you to join me in just a simple prayer, just to reaffirm our faith in an awesome, limitless God who loves us so much. If you're here tonight if, and you've never welcomed Jesus into your life, it's the best decision you'll ever make. The peace that comes and the assistance he offers us in all the little details, the assurance of being forgiven and know you're on your way to heaven is awesome. So let's just pray right now together, reaffirming our faith if you already know him, or if you don't, would you join us and just acknowledge these uh, biblical principles are true and let him come into your life tonight. Would you join me? Dear Heavenly Father, I believe that you love me. And I believe you've got some great plans for my life. I believe that the best is yet to come. Because I'm trusting in you. I believe that Jesus came, paid for all my sins, and rose from the dead. And I believe he's knocking at the door of my life. And he wants to come in. And I welcome Jesus and all of his will into my life. May your will be done in me and through me. I declare that Jesus is my Savior. He's my Lord. And he is my King. In Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Thank you.